Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. A bomb hits the city, your life instantly vaporized. But I'm not so fortunate, burning right before my eyes. Stumbling, I trip over pieces of descending, ooh, flesh. Leaving a pile of smoldering humanoid mess. Radiation is coming in waves, leading me to a nuclear grave, World Wars 3 and 4, by my much-beloved carnivore. Yes, indeed. Welcome to episode 121 of Agitators Anonymous. I'm Alan Averill, the singer in a heavy metal band, trying to do as little as work as possible to comprehend the things I do not understand. Well, kind of. Not really. Anyway, greetings from a sunny... Uh, Dublin. What a strange thing to say, but there you go. So, at Bits of Housekeeping. Housekeeping, yes. Um, this show is sponsored by MetalBlade.com. Um, you can use the promo code ALAN to get 10% off your order in North America, uh, which includes that Canada, um, the dear leader state of Canada. You can go and check out the links below. Um Today, I just got a bit of a care package from Metal Blade, which included that new Mantar album I was on about, and quite a nice little Mantar shirt as well, um, and some old Cannibal Corpse finals, which my teenage self would have been very happy with, and my um, 40-something self is rediscovering some of those albums that I missed for no particular reason other than, I'm not sure, maybe Black Metal Arrogance, um, whatever you want to call it, The Bleeding and Vile... You can follow me at Nemtiango underscore Primordial and go over and score, or well, score. Well, you can, sure, soon enough, you can score Primordial based on our social interactions. Boom. Yeah, never miss a chance to make a pun about the social currency system incoming baked into where we are headed. Or maybe not, as the case may be. Um, yes, Nemtiango underscore Primordial, Primordial underscore Official. Um, next week, Primordial is playing on um let me get this correct thursday at midgard's blood which seems um an incredible festival up in norway 
Really looking forward to that one. Looks like they've built some crazy Viking village up there. Um, and then on Friday, Caltonback Open Air. Um, Primordial is on at half ten on Friday in Caltonback. Um, headlining there. Also playing with Swallow the Sun and Decapitated, which is pretty cool. And then on Saturday, we have a new show added. I'm not sure if it's announced yet, but it's Open Air in Essen, just outside the Turok, uh, in the square there where we played just uh, last summer when the kind of embers of lockdown were still being raked over by um, society, well, German society at least, and I think they're going to be slightly reignited, but we might discuss that um, on another podcast, but with Cannibal Corpse, which is very cool. So that will be Saturday the the 18th, Um, yes. So open air, just outside the Turok, a great metal bar right in the heart of Essen, um, in the square with Cannibal Corpse. I'm not exactly sure who else is playing. I don't have any other uh, information, digital posters. It was only confirmed the other day. No doubt it will be cancelled uh, as soon as I have announced it here on the podcast. But for now, yeah, there you go. Very cool. It seems like something of a serendipitous moment to receive all these old Cannibal Corpse um, albums in the post. And then confirm a festival with them only an hour later. Um, You know, I'm a bit of a death metal snob. And I suppose back in the day, I was much more into the, you know, the the satanic death metal. The leather and studs and nails and altars of madness and um, that kind of thing. And for some reason, Cannibal Corpse... Definitely, I got into the first album, Meeting Back to Life, and I think the demo as well, Skull Full of Maggots, when trading. That was the name of the demo, right? Possibly. Um, Butcher by Bur- Butchered at Birth is a pretty horrific record, and I used to write to Jack Owen somewhere around 92, 93. Like I said before, my name is in one of the thanks lists somewhere. I think it's on, um, what's the name of the third album, Tomb of the Mutilated? Well, anyway. But I kind of lost interest in in that dugger, 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 dugger kind of death metal do you know what i mean that choppy chunky death metal i was never really into suffocation and gradually by 91 92 as the underground stuff and my mind became more obsessed with beherit and blasphemy and rotting christ and cannibal corpse sort of fell by the wayside but during lockdown when i was listening to mainly just brutal music um some of those early albums I started to pick up again and I started to really get into the bleeding. It's a pretty dark record. Anyway, I digress. I digress. This podcast is a review look back at Beyond the Gates. I just spent five days there. Five days that were pretty hard on my liver and my credit card. But I will um, do my best to kind of recap what is actually um, the festival, all things considered, that I've attended most over the years. Um, strange thing to say. Played it maybe three or four times. Could it be four? Might be. I think Hellfest is five times that Primordial has played, which is very odd and uh, when you consider it. But um, Beyond the Gates, yeah. Oddly enough, I was at the very first edition by accident um, visiting a friend back in the early noughties. Um, I think it might have been... Actually, now that I bring it up, it was in 2000. Um, and that was the first time that I visited Norway. Yeah, 2000, and considering that we toured with Immortal for the first time in Europe in, I think, December 2000 with Primordial, um, perhaps those two things have something to do with each other. I'm not quite too, not quite sure about that. But um, back in the early 90s, the early 90s, goddamn, I lost a decade somewhere there off my grey matter, but isn't that quite the norm? Once you uh, achieve some form of 
middle-aged confusion. But back in the early um, noughties, the welfare didn't really stretch to visits to Norway. The country's places somewhere um, of myth and legend, I suppose, in a black metal context was still pretty strong. Don't forget, by even by 2000, all the Euronymous Grishnak stuff was only seven or eight years previously. And so it was still quite strong in the consciousness of heavy metal. And we can argue that it still is and always will be. But 20 odd years ago, there seemed, well, 22 odd years ago, there seemed an implausibility that um, that I would be there. But there I was wandering around in the grey drizzle, which never changes in Bergen. It's something you become accustomed to living in Ireland, but it's it's even worse, I think. Uh, they're just relentless grey drizzle. But um, I was walking around and came across a poster on the street for the very first hole in the sky, which I think I still have tucked away somewhere as um, when I came out, I uh, lifted it off the wall. But but if memory serves, Enslaved played, Immortal, Eternus, all these kind of bands, it was in honour of um, or to celebrate the life of um, the old drummer of Immortal who killed himself. I didn't actually know that guy, but he's on the cover of Pure Holocaust. You can see him there with Demonaz and Abath. But um, yeah, sure enough, I came across this poster and it was quite incredible to see these local bands tearing it up in their hometown. And here, once again, 22 years later, I had the same feeling. Um, Bergen is by Norwegian standards um, particularly beautiful. Uh, tucked away between the fjords, there's no denying its charm. And if you can get out of the city or go up in the vinicular up to the top of the city, um, up to, well, is it a town? Is it a city? I suppose it's somewhere between the two um, and look down over the fjords. It's really quite an amazing place. Um, you know, it's something that Oslo perhaps lacks, if you ask me, and that is the sort of natural geographical location which sort of helps to amplify the charm of the city. Um, at least aesthetically, it certainly has something going for it that Oslo doesn't. Um, no offence to the architects of Oslo. But now, once again, um, I was walking around, a visitor. It's hard not to fall for the place all over again, despite these, I said, the almost constant rain and gloom, um, which, you know, as I said, being from Ireland, you would imagine I would be used to. But even by Irish standards, it gets a bit much. But the very same thing happens, and this is the preserve of a small town. And it kind of used to be the way Ireland was. But now that not as many people, I suppose, go into the city centre, maybe perhaps I'm older. Um, but everywhere you turn, you bump into people you know. You visit Gall's Gallery and you meet Grutla outside from Enslaved, guys from Gehenna or Hades Almighty in the lobby, Wardruna, Gorgoroth, um, Attila, Abbott, people from all those bands and on and on we go. And it really strikes you. What well, really struck me, amongst many other things and observations, was how many goddamn successful people there are in this uh, genre um, from and expanding into other genres, if you take into account Wardrune and all that kind of thing, um, from such a small, concentrated area. So before I get into actually taking a look at some of the bands who played and my general comment or critique of them... Um, and you'll notice in the podcast, generally, I don't tend to do critiques of bands who are my peers or my friends. With Call From The Grave, I tend to look back at older bands. And there's a kind of a reason for that. It's to create a little bit of distance between, I suppose, the, your feelings of being somewhat compromised by being friends with somebody and taking what is an old classic band from the 80s. But anyway, so you're all wondering about the heavy metal quiz, right? Right, right, right. Well, let me just give you the questions for round one which came out of my hungover, whiskeyed 
um, whiskey-addled brain the day after agreeing to it. Um, and then, you know, later on in the podcast, I'll give you the answers. Tell me what cities or towns the following bands were from. New Wave of British Heavy Metal. Def Leppard, Saxon, Iron Maiden, Holocaust, Sweet Savage, and Venom. This podcast will kind of straddle the line between that, I suppose, a little bit. But um, no doubt the talent and creativity and um, is what really shines when you take into account something like Norwegian black metal. And this is what, if you scrape beneath the, you know, the hyperbole and all the crazy headlines and all the stuff that happened 20, 25 years ago, um, when, if you were to really starkly look um, and go, okay, let us not take into account all the headlines, all the crazy things that were written and all the crazy things that were done many years ago, and let's just objectively question is the music really that great? And the answer is yes, it is. It's one of those things where once you actually scrape away all the dirt, you can find so many hidden gems. And I think next week I'll do my top 10 or 20 even um, Norwegian black metal records or something like this and maybe talk to a few people up there and see, you know, maybe 10 of the most underrated records because there are so many records. And it really is striking. Even as somebody who was around and involved in the time, um, you know, I suppose you're from another country, but you're peripherally involved in a kind of cultural zeitgeist. And that was early 90s black metal, as influential um, as it was. The idea that, um, you know, some people have proposed, I suppose they're proponents of the arguments about, you know, for external to the scene who are looking inside the bubble and they are wondering, well, is it really all that? Is it really all that? The answer is, yes, it really is all that. But why why did it become so? Um, I think also the fact that the state there supports the music and musicians. And when you consider that some of those musicians and bands are associated with arson, um, you know, acts of um, violence, acts of wanton destruction, and actually, indeed, murder, this is quite incredible. The state... Uh, this is the Norwegian state I'm talking about, but the Norwegian state seems to have recognised that there is a large cultural and, of course, financial export value to Norwegian black metal. But also that maybe bygones can be bygones, that people grow up. So here at Beyond the Gates, Emperor, um, a band, you know, who gave us so much great music, but also connected to both of those things. Um, I just discussed arson and murder back in the day, perform at the famous Greek Helen Theatre, mainly reserved for classical music recitals. But, you know, I'll get to all of that as well. Um, but it is really quite incredible uh, and very Nordic in attitude. I live near uh, the National Concert Hall in Dublin, and the idea of booking that for primordial or um, creating a festival around uh, Irish metal or uh, primordial's influence within the National Concert Hall, putting up a gallery, etc., etc., it seems beyond plausible well especially financially i mean maybe if i had a ton of money um i would be able to do it but of course the fact is that you know um the the arts in norway um is supported by the local council anyway that's a slightly different point but i will get to that but um it's culturally i think not possible it's rather remote that promoter will be allowed to do such a thing and of course there just isn't the general um, you know, be the black black metal in Norway was an entire cultural movement, 
But to put it into some kind of context, uh, enslaved, I suppose, or on some sort of, and um, there's some sort of footing there with Primordial. There are peers. We're sort of in the same kind of pagan black metal, uh, you know, region. At you know, at festivals in Germany, we would be sometimes on the same bills in the same parity. I think enslaved is way bigger in the USA because Primordial never really got a footing there. Anyway, that's not really the point. But received. Um, Enslaved has received, along with many other Norwegian bands, grants from their local arts council uh, to record, to tour, to compensate for loss of you know earnings when they go on tour. Um, you know, I'm not going to turn this into a griping and uh, grumping sort of podcast about the fact that Promodial has never really got anything. Well, not really, but just never got anything from the state, not even a travel bursary uh, to go anywhere. But it goes widely unnoticed in our home country. Now, I'm not going to use, as I said, the podcast to bash the Irish Arts Council, although I could easily. Um, you know, during lockdown, they proposed building green screen stages throughout the country um, for people to come in and record, like, remote videos. Clearly, um, a rather ridiculous idea to sort of piggyback off uh, teenage TikTok numbers. Um, and also, it was quite, I think, it was to discourage people from, you know, meeting discourage people from gathering in groups, discourage from people from, you know, the sort of humanity involved in sharing a, uh, you know, a cultural experience as if the people uh, making those decisions had nothing to do with live music whatsoever. Hmm. Um, and so we're basically trying to build these sort of sound stages to encourage quite the opposite of live music. Of course, pouring money, you know, let's say pouring money into, I would consider these anti-social pursuits designed to, as I said, piggyback on teenage TikTok clicks. Um, when in reality, what they should have been doing was building live venues and to encourage young people, non-profit based live venues of two to three to four hundred across small towns in Ireland to encourage young people to get back into a room together, to encourage them to put on plays, to put on theatre, to put on gigs in a non-profit, um, you know, um, in a non-profit based environment with local kids volunteering to learn the skills of lighting and sound engineering etc kind of like you know what progressive countries and i use that word in parenthesis like for example holland do most bands who've toured of toured holland have played in local um town or city venues that are non-profit based that get a, an amount of money per year to bid on tours primordial has played some of these um and you know, you get an enthusiastic local crew who are there to learn everything from catering all the way to front of house. Sounds like pr a pretty good idea, right? Rather than trying to build small isolated rooms to keep kids apart because, you know, lockdown is going to go on forever. Of course, it would help me to gain funding if I was, um, you know, a blind, um, you know, non-binary sculptor from... Um, upper Volta but you know let's not get into that or go there oh Alan did you have to say that well you know it is kind of true if you look at um, some of the Irish Arts Council's statements <laughs> over lockdown anyway not the poor purpose the poor voice god damn it I say that every week not the purpose of this podcast but the Norwegian state supports its artists um, this all said, I've been to gigs in Latin America where the military police have been standing around waiting to get paid with brown envelopes, um, you know, smoking rather extreme drugs off their fucking heads, standing there with machine guns just staring at you. I can think of being at a gig in um, Honduras that was exactly like that. And we met busloads of people who had come 20, 24 hours through the, um, through the jungle from Nicaragua trying to avoid 
Avoid guerrilla groups in the forest. I mean, that's commitment. And of course, so, you know, in those contexts, in that context, Ireland ain't that bad. But certainly, um, it, it, uh, the Norwegian state supports its artists. And it's clear that beyond the gates, um, it's a huge cash injection for an already rich city once a year. But that the state allows the celebration of a musical form that was, let's be honest, public enemy number one just over 25 years ago is a clear example of not holding cultural grudges and allowing something to grow and blossom. And the intermingling of artists is always something that strikes me. Um, I remember being at Hoover Festival, which was a short-lived festival on an island in Norway. And Primordial played, I think we played with Satyricon and Dimu Borger or Behemoth or something like this. And the enslaved guys were there. They were playing the day after. And it was just an, a curious mix as an Irish uh, metal band to sit there and be introduced to, um, oh, this is such and such. Um, she's a poet. This is such and such. He's a film director. And there seemed to be this sort of, maybe it's romantic, um, you know, a romantic notion that I have or that I've picked up the wrong end of the stick, which is entirely possible because that's really kind of the raison d'etre of Agitators Anonymous, is it not? But that um, there was an intermingling of the arts that was almost completely lacking in a, a country like Ireland. This is evident with Gal's art gallery, um, if you go down there. In my own city, the prohibitive cost of rent and real estate would make something like this kind of impossible, as artists have been collectively driven out of the city by gentrification, and probably in your city too. Most people, Berliners, tell me, well, Berlin ain't what it used to be 10 or 20 years ago. I think we all have variations of a theme, right? However, standing in the lobby of Grieg Hallen, which is the famous studio where all those classic, um, you know, Bergen albums were recorded, well, and also including The Mystery Storm Satanus, Civis Licit Tar Os, Weikling Lervelde, um, Diabolical Fumu Mysticism, etc. I can hear Python, Python discussing recording techniques with a bunch of people on a guided, um, a guided tour of the studio. Attila from Mayhem is hanging out, taking pictures, being his usual self with, uh, you know, with anyone who wants to, beside the photos in the gallery, in the lobby of himself, framed across from him is Varg. Yep, not forgotten, um, as he was, you know, an essential part of the musical structure and makeup of that scene back in the day. And we were about to watch Enslaved perform the classic album Weikling Lirvelde in the main hall. And I have to admit, when we go in that, oh, oh. Oh, oh, you know that intro to Hordain's Land, that moment? Um, yeah, it still sends shivers up the spine. Of course, I know that that's not from Vikling der Velde. But watching enslaved local hometown heroes play this huge show in their own hometown, it kind of gave you that feeling of, wow, wow. Um, that you were in on something special, which is, of course, what Beyond the Gates is. But to just describe it, the main hall has a huge, huge ceiling and spreads out into a proper old-fashioned kind of amphitheater-style design. The band have flaming runes on stage, and it is really quite an awe-inspiring sight. Now, sonically, you know, to be to to you know post a few little um, comments about this kind of thing, but sonically, a very high ceiling like this presents problems for metal music or anything with a lot of distortion and anything with speed. So, anything with fast bass drums and fast drums it's noisy and the sound travels um so all three bands tonight enslaved emperor and mayhem um i'm not starting at the beginning i'm going to go backwards um and then forwards again but because this is the kind of in a way the you know black metals coming home the central theme of 
um, this year's Beyond the Gates. Um, all three bands, you know, suffer a little bit from relative sound difficulties. Relative. But when you consider the space they're performing in, it stands to reason. So it seems churlish to complain about it, so I won't. The vi- Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. is amazing and carries it. And I can only imagine the rewarding feeling the band have to perform on such a stage in their own hometown. Um, an album that they made when they were such young guys. It comes full circle. The stage looks cool. You can see people all around almost pinching themselves at the master stroke. And it is indeed a master stroke that Torgrim and all the people behind the scenes have pulled off. It really is quite incredible. And thinking back to that first time I saw Enslaved in the basement of that garage 22 years ago, um, it gives one a very rewarding and a very, um, you know, sort of musical, musically content feeling that you're watching a band get what they deserve. Um, how far everything has come and keeps growing and staying relevant, which in this sort of horrible social media age becomes more and more an unpaid, unrewarding and draining exercise. Um, but how the band and the festival played their hand really, really well. They've made a selling point out of their city culturally and financially and people people come and the city has responded in kind uh emperor are on form simple huge backdrop two drum kits and in the nightside eclipse in oasatana a reminder that well a reminder that ishan is a genius but a reminder that he wrote this when he was still a teenager and then uh make him mayhem take it up a notch kind of further and um, stage wise and attila nearly sets the whole stage on fire um, but perform some last-minute gymnastics to stop a huge cross from levelling him. He's basically up behind the drum kit singing from this kind of plinth, and this huge cross almost, you know, dumps him and the entire table of contents, most of which are on fire, uh, onto Hellhammer and onto the stage. How that would how that would turn out? Um, mayhem burn Greg Helen to the ground 30 years later, but um, he performs, as I said, some last-minute gymnastics to stop this and avert what would have been something of a disaster. Um, Now, a pedantic part of me 
would have loved um, if they had starkly lit the stage, stretched out the barbed wire, taken off the hoods and gone totally the, the other direction. But, you know, the drama setting is fixed at 10 out of 10. And I think that um, there was, you couldn't really resist the temptation to go all out if you, if you were given this huge, huge soundstage. Um, but the evening is quite magical, enslaved. Uh, emperor and then mayhem and people are heading out into the city and the rain is lashing down the rain is pouring down and i guess people can't quite believe what they've seen now now then now then now then now then what about the other days and the other bands um you know when you're at a festival you're there all day you're meeting people you're catching up with people there's a sort of feeling of um you know camaraderie that you meet people you haven't seen for the previous year i can't pretend to have seen everything in every band and you've probably heard me say the odd time recently I've been a bit vaguely jaded about seeing bands sometimes um, but I got a few injections of adrenaline over the week um, and before we get to the final night and discussing well merciful fate um, what can I say what were some of the other high points well Sodom were great really great they played Equinox from Obsessed by Cruelty and they fucking killed it. Tom was a bit drunk, um, you know, but like beer drunk and jovial. And they had an old school backdrop, ripping voice. How he's kept his voice for like 40 years is quite incredible. He still has this, you know, one of the most caustic black metal voice voices and they crushed it. Darvaza, um, kicking a hole in the fabric of the culture set venue and the festival itself were one of the undoubted highlights the winners of the smaller stage battle bythos from finland weaving some kind of very cool old school death doom do de- death come on Avril, calm it down death doom vibes how come death doom hasn't gone through a reinvention old my dying bride old anathema old chorus of ruin old decomposed and there were this you know old paradise lost gothic it's incredibly dark bands and um i think a scene that has really um not gone through a reinvention or reinterpretation in the modern day that I don't really understand because those records are seminal. Early My Dying Bride. I mean, more people are talking about Early My Dying Bride and they're getting booked on more and more things. But for those first couple of records, To Lose the Swans, um, if you don't know them, I might do something like a Best of Doom Death Spotify playlist or something like this. But um, this scene seems to be sort of ignored. I don't. I don't really understand why. I think... Maybe one of the things is, and I said this in the podcast on Tuesday, going back into Dynamo. If you look at Dynamo in 97 or whatever it was, in 96, the first one we went to, there was an awful lot of kind of doomy bands. Okay, they had a kind of goth tinge stuff, but typo negative were gloomy and doomy. Um, and in the mid-90s, underneath all the new metal bullshit and all the kind of rap metal nonsense um, and all the kind of horrible white zombie sort of stuff, there was a gloom to bands like Tiamat and My Dying Bride and Anathema um, and typo negative, something dark. And I think that that just got totally removed removed somewhere um, as we went into the new century. And it's very rare that you would see now at any of the festivals that we go to and like, you would go, oh, you know, middle of the day, there's a new slow band, a really slow band that are headlining or something like this. Oh, maybe I'm wrong. I'm not really too sure. It's, a, it's an undeveloped theory, but certainly Doom Death needs a form of... Um, rediscussion, rebirth. 
maybe, maybe it is that the Adderall generation just don't have the attention span for Doom Death. It could be that. It could be something very simple like that, because I can see it myself. If you can't, if you don't have the attention span to read a book anymore, which many of my friends tell me they don't have because it's been shredded by social media, been shredded by being on the screen all the time, are you really going to have... Um, you know, the attention span to sit through 15 mi- minutes of do, 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 I pick Cry of Mankind from the Angel in the Dark River. Um, a slow developing, um, unraveling song, um, an incredible song. But are you really going to have the patience to go through that or do you want a short, sharp shock? There also could be something in that theory. So before we get to reviewing the, um, the main body, the meat in the sandwich of Beyond the Gates... Um, I'll put in the last ad read for the Irish band Strangers with Guns. You're probably going to hear it underneath what I'm talking about. It reminds me of early therapy quite a lot. Um, and, you know, you can check out the links underneath to go and check the band out. Young Irish band. Go and have a listen. And if you're thinking to yourself, this sounds like a rather good idea. Um, my band could do the same thing. Or my, you know, my tattoo studio, my festival. Um, then, yeah, you can hit me up. There is, you know certainly space and an opening to advertise on the podcast um, and the numbers are growing and growing exponentially so if you're thinking to yourself this could be a good and alternative way to um, try and publicize what I'm doing hit me up in the DM certainly things are changing between the um, you know the podcast culture that is now growing and growing and growing in metal of which this podcast is one of those um, with some upward mobility and exponential growth. Anyway, back to Beyond the Gates. Now I know that many of you will want to know the answers to the questions, to the quiz questions. Well now, well now. The quiz night. The quiz night. What can I say? Saxon are from Barnsley. Sweet Savage are from Belfast. Def Leppard are from Sheffield. Venom are from Newcastle. Iron Maiden are from London, obviously. And Holocaust are from Edinburgh. That was the opening round of the quiz. If you want me to actually do um, a full episode of the quiz, I'm not sure how that would work. Just like I approached the whole thing of doing the quiz at Hole in the Sky with a certain whiskey-fueled, you know, excitement. Basically what happened is that there was a quiz at Hole in the Sky every Thursday and Friday. And every Thursday and Friday, I won it. I can say that with my hand on my heart. Um, and in the years that I was there, and you got six free tickets, which were quite expensive. And because I was guiding in anyway, I would just like go, ah, and just leave them on the bar, give them to whoever wanted them. And, you know, I co- probably cost uh, the festival quite a lot of money. But Torgrim, uh, the organizer, he perfectly played me. He goes, oh, there isn't a quiz this year. Maybe you should do it. After I'd had X amount of whiskeys, and I was like... Oh, no, I can't do it. That's too much work. And then I went, I'll do it. About 45 seconds later. So then I was roped into doing it. And with a pounding hangover, I had to sit there and work out the questions. Um, and my glamorous assistant, Eric from Watain, um, you know, who helped quite a lot. Um, <clears throat> we presided over what was a roughshod quiz. Some of it was very hard. Some of it was very easy, judging by <laughs> two two teams did very well. And most of the other teams, well, three teams, let's say that. And a few other teams... Um, were very confused, but put down some hilarious answers. But the problem is that um, I had no experience of being a primary school teacher, obviously, and thankfully, as it sounds like an awful lot of work. But rather than go through the um, the scores at the end of every round and score people 
uh, maybe on a board behind us. Uh, I just read out all the questions and then took in the papers afterwards and realised, oh, we have to correct um, now everyone's paper and go through every answer. And, you know, it was a complete mess. Me and poor Eric were just on our knees in the little sound booth, surrounded by bits of paper, total chaos. Um, But in the end, two teams got almost, uh, I would say, 90% of the questions right. But, um, yeah, it was an awful lot of fun. And we'll see if it happens next year. I don't know. I think I prefer taking part than setting the quiz. But, you know, I got to I got to take the piss out of people for, you know, an hour, an hour and a half. They gave me a microphone, which sounds like an utterly ridiculous idea. And thankfully, no one was filming it, I think, because, um, you know, I probably said some choice things. However, anyway, the quiz, the quiz, the quiz. Right. And to the main, I suppose, the main body of Saturday night. Because the thing is, if you've been there for a few days at Hole in the Sky, um, you kind of, after the whole Emperor Mayhem and Slave Day, you kind of went, oh yeah, Merciful Fate is playing tomorrow. You know? Um, oh, and I must, of course, give honourable mentions to Miss Thierming, who kicked ass over on the, um, the USV stage. Opeth, who I've never been a huge fan of, um, but watched from the side for a bit. And this was, you know, really, really cool. Um Solstafir also played. I mean, there was everywhere you looked was just good bands. Albath played on the Tuesday, but I missed it. And then all loads of cool underground bands, um, Mizothist and many bands also on the Culture Who Set stage. Anyway, you want to know what Merciful Fate was like, right? Well, first off, let's talk about Candlemas because I kind of feel Candlemas kind of stole the show a little bit. Or maybe it was just that they reached their apogee when my mood reached its apex. And when, um, you know, the, the, the buoyancy uh, that we all felt. Buoyancy. It's an interesting word, isn't it? Not buoyancy. But there just happened to be myself and Eric and a few others in full voiced, um, full singing mode for Candlemas. And it's the first time that I've seen Candlemas with um, Johan, the singer from the very first album, Epicus. And it's very interesting because it was the, they did Nightfall. I mean, Nightfall is one of the most incredible heavy metal records of all time. I mean, equal to Don't Break the Oath, without a doubt. It is a huge, dark monolith of a record. Um, and I think in 1986, I think it is, or is it 87? Um, it, it just got full marks from everyone. And again, an interesting record in that it's so dark and slow, but it was so huge at the time. Points to maybe a different mindset compared to now. But um, Johan doesn't sing as high as Messiah. This much is true, but the band aren't tuned down. So he kind of sings in a slightly just under, but harmonizing register. And he has a sort of Dio vibe to not only his stage antics, but his voice. And it was great. It was really great. I've seen Messiah sing some of those songs before. And yeah, you kind of do miss the full, you know, the full um, operatics into the higher register. But then again, not really. And Candlemas, you know, they kind of stole it a little bit. Now, did they really steal it or am I just being, um, am I being a bit, you know, churlish? A bit of both. There was a part of me that was a little left. Merciful Fate, let's be honest, they were incredible. They were absolutely amazing. The stage set was cool. The new song, The Jackal of Salzburg, sounded great. The King's voice, what can you say? A 63, 64 sounds absolutely incredible. Now, I've heard his wife um, kind of sings along behind the stage and backs him up with some notes, you know, and that's, for me, that's fine. There's been a lot of discussion on YouTube. You've probably seen it on other channels recently about is this 
or that person singing live or singing along to backing tracks. And once you hit 60 odd, I think an awful lot of people get percentages of help. Now, it might be 15 percent. It might be 20 percent. But, you know, it's perfectly, you know, it's obvious the king is singing. Maybe he gets a little help from, you know, 15, 20 percent blended in the other channel of a backing vocal. I don't know. Doesn't really matter. But the swagger was there. It was great. Um, you know, the kind of marble staircase stage set. Uh, again, I have to I have said this on the podcast for that. I saw King Diamond in New York and the whole huge stage show thing. A, a part of me, maybe, a, you know, a sort of middle aged cynic was kind of like, OK, I would prefer a bit more, con- a bit more of a concentration on the songs and less on the, the theatrics, you know. The But look, it kind of sounds ridiculous, really, because. I saw Merciful Fate, you know, at, at Dining One. I saw them at club shows when they just didn't have the popularity or the budget to wheel out that uh, that this huge stage set. And I guess they would have done it if they had the money back in the 90s and early 2000s. And so it's amazing that the pendulum has swung back and their career has blossomed once again. Now, it is weird to see no Michael Denner up there. Um, by all accounts, the guy is pretty upset by being not part of this reunion. And, you know, Denner, Sherman are the names that you associate with Merciful Fate. Mike Weed, with all due respect, um, plays on, I think, from Into the Unknown on. So he plays in the last three, I think, Merciful Fate albums from the 90s. Good albums as they are. Um, Denner put in, I suppose, you know, he played on Fortal Fatal, Fortal Patriot. Wow. Fatal Portrait. And also on Abigail. Um, And I don't know, there's some politics going on there that I don't really understand, but it would have been... Uh, you know, there's a part of everyone who wanted to see Denner Sherman, you know, Downing Tipton, etc., Hanneman King. It's it's part of that sort of named, sort of, you know, famous name duo that seemed, that is part of the rhythm section. Anyway, of course, you have Joey Vera there from Armored Saint. I mean, who is one of the most incredible modern, you know, sort of heavy metal bass players. If you want a man, you can just call up and go, can you just, you know, slip effortlessly into Mercil Fate and do a 10 out of 10 job every single night it's Joey Vera without a shadow of a doubt but there was swagger was there the voice was there stage set huge pentagram marble staircase a little bit Disney a bit a bit showy for me but then again you know what are you going to do um are you not going to do all the theatrics when you're given this huge stage? The king kind of had his satanic office in the back. He would disappear into every now and again, whatever he was doing there. I don't know. Maybe having a cup of tea. I don't know. But yeah, look, fate were incredible. Apart, Candlemas maybe stole my heart a little bit that day because I um, it just, it was exciting. And also one of the things... Well, exciting because I'd never seen it before like this and being a huge Candlemas fan. But also, you could hear the difference between Merciful Fate and Candlemas and the bands the day before. Just playing slow um, and using less distortion and all of a sudden Candlemas won the day sonically. They sounded the best out of anybody who played um, in the big Greek Helen. But uh, this is what happens, you know, when you play slow, you can hit up a big bass drum and you don't need to be this is the problem with playing very fast in a big venue with a high ceiling. Things get lost in the mix. So Candlemas won the day sonically. But I mean, look, Mercil Fate were killer. If you get a chance or you haven't seen them this summer and you're going to do it next week or the week after, you've got something to look forward to. Um, And overall, the whole four or five days was an incredible experience. Uh, woven together, you know, in this sort of dramatic, uh, sodden, kind of overcast, beautiful town. 
um, you know, which has which was part of a cultural musical zeitgeist 25, 30 years ago that you can see now is respected by its own city. Um, and the people who are part of that respected as musicians in their own right. And everywhere you look, people who have, um, you know, made incredible music. And just to be there again, 22 years after the first time I was there, was a really, um, you know, it was just a really awesome experience and met lots of new friends and many drinks were had and many laughs were had. And, you know, I've, you know, I'm sure I pissed off a few people <laughs> here and there. But isn't that what the podcast is called? Agitators Anonymous, my friends. Yes, indeed. Well, beyond the gates, I hope to see you next year. And next week, we will see some of you at some of the primordial festivals. I'll just end with one funny observation, though. A couple of people came up to me and said, ah, you know, you said we'd never be at a festival with a beer in our in my, in my our hands and all that kind of thing. And it got me kind of thinking, I had to go back and have a listen to some of the things that I said at the beginning. Now, to be a bit pedantic about it, because that's kind of my nature, I never said there would never, ever be a gig ever again. But what I did say was when the pandemic started, or lockdown started, that you can forget summer and you can forget this coming autumn and winter. People went, oh, no, come on, three weeks to flatten the curve, etc., etc. Um, and this is not to sound like point scoring or anything like this. And then it looked like it was over, and then it wasn't over, and I said the same thing. I said, hey, it's going to happen this year again. Don't forget, we lost almost two and a half two and a bit years to lockdown. So certainly for two years in a row, I was right when I said there won't be any festival season. Now, I never said there will never be any gigs ever again. I didn't. Um, and I think some people kind of, you know, rather aggressively pointed out to me, oh, yeah, here we are with a beer you never said. And I said, well, I did say it uh, <laughs> two and a half years ago. And this is the first summer that it's really been allowed. So, you know, um, did I say that there would never, ever, ever be gigs ever again? At, at a moment during lockdown, it certainly felt like that. But I think objectively, um, I was, you know, going year by year. But, you know, the German government are moving towards indoor mask mandates. And if they vote that through, you might not be having your gigs this winter. Just like the IRA used to say, we haven't gone away, you know. <laughs> Agitators Anonymous, episode 121. Satan bless you beyond the gates and all who dwell in you. See you again. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.